Hey, good morning, everyone. How was everybody doing this morning? Oh, come on. You can do better than that. <laughs> Just kidding. No one's in here. Okay. I've been waiting like a month and a half to do that joke. Um, but seriously, wherever you are, I hope you're safe and well. And thank you for joining us this morning. Um, I'm going to unravel a thought for you here this morning. And I'm not going to lie. It was a struggle. Okay. I didn't struggle with the thought itself, uh, but I struggled with the how do I want to get this across? Okay. So, we're going to go on this weird little journey this morning, and there's going to be moments where it kind of seems off track, but I promise it's all going to come together, okay? So this morning's sermon title is Violent Anxiety in Light of the Resurrection. Violent Anxiety in Light of the Resurrection. Go ahead and say that out loud if you would, because I know a lot of those words seem like a contradiction to be in the same sentence, but they're not, okay? Uh, although there is one word I want to focus on for just a second here, and that's anxiety, in our culture today, that word comes with so much baggage, okay? But this morning, I want you to understand, I'm not talking about that type of anxiety. I'm not talking about the anxiety you feel toward work or money or school or friends or, or any of that, okay? This morning, when I'm referring to anxiety, I'm talking about the posture of your heart towards God, the passion of your heart towards God and your Creator, and I want to, to show you, if, if you've noticed, that's, a, that's kind of a theme for a few of my sermons. And because I think that's one of those ground level things that we really need to look at. It. It's a litmus test to see how everything else in your life is going. If you look at the passion that you have to pursue God, that's going to be a good indicator for pretty much everything else that's going on in your life. Now, I want to be super clear right from the beginning. I'm not talking about how much scripture you read. I'm not talking about how many Bible studies you're in, uh, how many Sunday schools you teach, or even how much service you do. Yes and amen, those are all great and wonderful things. But this morning, I want to talk about the passion that drives you to do those things. Okay? So I really want us to examine ourselves this morning, self-included, and I want you to think about what pushes you to do those things. When you do them, are you doing them cheerfully? Reluctantly? Did somebody tell you to do it? Are you doing it because you feel guilty? I don't know, uh, but I do know that, that I get there too, okay? Um, I get into that apathetic mode where, where I look at things in my life, everyday things, and, I'm, and, and I lose that passion. So I'm preaching to me this morning, too. So um, earlier in the week, as I was preparing for this, and, and I'm, I'm really going to be speaking on Matthew 11:12, 12, and I was brainstorming with Pastor Tim about this idea of violent anxiety and the violent ticket by force. And he said, look, if you're really going to understand this, he said, you have to go back and look at the mindset of people in the Old Testament to truly understand that. And he really did a nice job of refining my thinking on that. So the, like the quickest example I could come up with for this Old Testament mindset is kind of what we've been going through for the last month and a half or so. I can remember those last couple days when I was at school and they told us, hey, you need to prepare for the kids to be out a while. And I'm a pretty big follower of news and, and, and I don't mean just like, you know, 
nationally, I mean like globally. So I'm, I'm paying attention to quite a bit of it. And I remember thinking at the time, you know, hmm, somebody at the national level must know something. Like for us to be this concerned and for these measures to be taken, somebody knows something. But then as I saw things continue and the word would be deteriorate um, and quarantines locked down more and, and things got more strict, it kind of hit me. It's not because somebody knew something. It's because we didn't know. No one knew for sure what was going to go on. We didn't have enough data to represent things, to, to have a good understanding. And I, and I think it'll help if, and if you know, and I need to make sacrifices for my transgressions. Okay? I need to do things to, to, to keep God pleased. And, and almost like that idea of like keeping him at a distance. If I do something wrong, I better make amends. A student in class even, you know, to, to, to feel their wrath. So they do what they can do to keep, you know, everyone at arm's length. And that's kind of the same thing with that Old Testament mindset. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do everything I have to do to keep God at arm's length because I don't want to say there is none like him. Like, literally, there is none like him. Okay. So there's a lot of like, you know, fear of the unknown. So, um, we have a special kind of cautious reverence for those things, those things that we don't understand. Okay. We're, we're just cautious when we approach them. Now in the old Testament, there's a great story that illustrates this. So, but it's kind of in a, a peculiar way. I want you to go to, you know, becoming King, all right? He's conquered Jerusalem. He's made it the political, big, big deal. Okay. Um, Uzzah and his brother are the ones driving the ox cart, the new ox cart that pulled the ark. Okay, let's pick it up at verse five. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nikon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error, and he died there beside the ark of God. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah, and that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, How can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David. So, a quick paraphrase of what happened. This is an incredible triumphant march. Okay. It is a celebration. People are singing, the band's playing, people are smiling. And then the oxen stumble. Okay. And Uzzah, whose name literally means strength, reaches back to steady the ark. And when he does, he breaks divine law and is struck dead immediately. Okay. Now I always remind myself when I speak, this is not a fiction story. These are people and events, real people and events. So I want you to imagine the mood change. Think about that. Think about the reactions on the people's faces around there. Think about the change in tone. Okay. And even David, he's like, Whoa, wait a minute. We need to slow down here a little bit. We can't take the ark into the city. I'm not sure what's going to happen. I don't know how angry God is. Okay. 
So what do we do? He just, he, he kind of puts the brakes on and says, wait a minute, because of that fear of the unknown. Now, think about this, because this is the true point I wanted to get across with the scripture. Would you want to be the guy that took Uzzah's place? I mean, I know it sounds funny, but think about it. You know, do I want to get that close? Okay. I got a feeling that when David said, hey, you know, who's, who's going to drive the ox car now? There probably weren't a whole lot of hands that went up because of that fear of the unknown. I mean, here was this guy that was just doing in that split second, he was doing what he thought was right. Okay. So that fear of the unknown. Now, that idea of wanting to be like, no one would remember the, the cart driver's names if it hadn't been for this event. Okay. So that Old Testament mindset of kind of keep your distance, you know, do what you're supposed to do and, and you know, miss God's wrath. Now that we've looked at that Old Testament mindset, I want to switch gears and I want to talk about violent anxiety. Okay, this concept. And I'm going to use a video clip to illustrate this. Now, when I sat down and started looking at videos to illustrate my theological point this morning, I looked at clips of some of the greatest philosophical and theological thinkers of the past. I looked at people expounding on scripture and, you know, at a, at a deep, deep level. I looked at lots and lots of videos. And the video that I chose to illustrate my point this morning is a competitive cheerleading routine video. Now, I know that sounds funny. <laughs> okay, so stay with me. I know it sounds funny. But I hope that as I unpack this and, and explain it, I hope that you'll understand why I made this choice. Now, this is a routine from a team called Cheer Extreme out of, I believe it's Riley, North Carolina. And before you watch the video, I want to share some insight that I have into this that, that's truly going to help you appreciate this. Okay. As some of you may know, my wife is a competitive cheer coach. Okay. And for years, I've watched her work with, you know, the, the kids on her teams. And I've seen the competition days, cheer competition days at our house, make sure everybody's ready to go and all that. And, you know, we're praying over, she's praying over the girls and their safety and hope everything goes right. And then she leaves and then, you know, I'm nervous and I'm texting her and I'm praying over everybody's safety and, and you know, praying that things go well. Because it's not just about that day, okay? It's about every day that led up to that day. It's about the girls practicing and stretching at home for hours. It's about parents driving them back and forth and back and forth to practice. It's about the fear and the, the confidence that's built when they learn a new tumbling skill. Uh, it's about the hours at the gym trying to perfect the routine and the going up in a stun and the falling out of it and the going up again and the falling out and the frustration and the, and the drive and all of that smashed together. Okay. That's what's walking out on the cheer floor on competition day. All of that. Now, there's one more thing that is absolutely key to the cheer competition, and that is timing. Okay? It's the synchronicity, the working together in a cheer routine that all of the girls do to the music. 
Okay. Um, the music in a cheer routine is the glue that keeps everybody on time and doing the same thing. Even this week, this past week, my wife is doing uh, Zoom meeting cheer practices, okay? And she's in the other room and I'm sitting at the kitchen table and I can hear her and Bailey, another coach, and they're chanting out the one, three, five, seven, because everything's in eight counts, right? One, three, five, seven. So they're chanting that out to keep the girls in rhythm. All right. So as you watch the video, um, you, you may want to turn your sound up just a little bit. And I want you to pay close attention to just a few things. Number one, listen to the crowd. Pay close attention to the crowd. Number two, try to watch the reactions on the girls' faces. And number three, just feel that intensity at the end. Okay.
so these girls are experiencing the normal anxiety of a cheer competition, okay? All the stress that goes into having practiced a routine for months and, and wanting to put your best performance on the floor. Then the music cuts out. And if you watch really close, there's that split second where some of them kind of look at each other with this, this moment of absolute terror, like, what do we do now? Okay. But then they keep going and the crowd starts to chant the one, three, five, seven counts. The crowd is chanting out the beat counts to keep them on rhythm. Now, you need to remember something. That crowd is made up of the parents and cheerleaders of the teams that they are competing against. Okay? The crowd is pressing into this moment. Okay? The crowd is now a part of this. Now, and if you watch really close, you'll see the, the dads at the end and that, that moment at the end where the intensity level rises so much. And it's just this moment of violent anxiety, a, a tangible feeling of like, hey, I love my teammates. I don't want to let them down. The crowds, and they knew how special that moment was. Okay, So everybody is pressing into that moment. And if you watch the, if you, if you get a chance to watch again, the little girl on the right, the flyer, um, she wobbles a couple of times in her stunt and, and she pulls it back together and you can just tell she's like, okay, this is big. I, got, I, I don't want to be the one that lets my team down. So that violent anxiety of pushing in. So this switch from this Old Testament mindset of keeping God at a distance to, to, to avoid his wrath, to, to do things right, but I want to keep God at his distance, at arm's length, the idea of pressing into the presence of God. So we're going to look at Matthew 11, uh, 7 to 12 in just a second if you want to get there. But let's do some context really quick, okay? Earlier in Matthew, we read the story of John the Baptist, uh, the, the prophesied messenger that was the precursor of the Messiah, okay? And it talks about how uh, Jerusalem and Judea and all the region, you know, came out to see John and they, and they crowded and they, they pressed in, okay? And then likewise, and more so for Jesus, when Jesus goes to like, he drains the town, like everybody's coming out. They, you know, they want to hear the teaching. Uh, they want to see the miracle. They see the miracles. They want to be skeptical, whatever the reason they come out in big, big numbers. I mean, just think of the, the story of the woman that just wanted to get close enough to touch his garment. Like that's the mindset that pressing in. So Jesus is sending out the 12 and he tells them to speak to John the Baptist. And then he turns to the crowd and we'll pick it up at seven. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent Take it by force. 
and the violent take it by force. Now, there's a lot of different ways that this scripture can be interpreted, okay, uh, and, and even translated. And what I want to do is offer up for your consideration my current understanding of it and focus on, on a couple of things. Uh, number one, one of the reasons this is such a, a difficult piece is the two key words in there uh, don't have really any comparables in Scripture. Uh, the word that is translated as to suffer violence, uh, biazo, and biastes, to the violent, okay, um, to suffer violence uh, is only seen in one other place, and we'll get to that in a second. Uh, the violent isn't seen anywhere. So we have very few comparable words in Scripture to, to get really a good understanding of this. But I'm going to jump over to Luke 16, 16 and read this for you. Uh, the law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone forces his way into it. Okay, now, now I'm reading from the ESV, and we could have a great conversation about, you know, what this all means and how it's translated and everything else. But I want to focus on that one particular phrase, the violent take it by force, the pressing in, the crowding, okay, to get into the presence of God. So um, the people pressing in and advancing, crowding around the word of God in the presence of Jesus. And I want you to imagine something for me for a second. I want you to think about those folks. Okay. Think about those folks that, that came down to the river and, and they're in massive crowds and they're watching John the Baptist, maybe even getting baptized. Okay. And then Jesus comes through their town and they go out of their houses again. Okay? And they're, they're following him, they're listening to the teaching, and, and they're seeing, you know, whatever, uh, they're, they're following him because they want this feeling, they want to understand what's going on. And now I want you to imagine those folks, okay? Everyday folks, the tent makers, the well diggers, the soldiers, the, just the everyday people. I want you to imagine them either in their homes or just talking with their friends on the street when they heard the news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When they heard about that, what the violent anxiety that had to rise up within them, like this push in to know more, to understand more, this, this gathering around, okay, this violent rush toward this. So, now I want you to think about where you were when you realized that. When you realized that the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ made it possible for you to be in the presence of that holy God. Think about that. How do we ever let our distractions come between us and that passion? I was reading a sermon by Charles Spurgeon on Matthew eleven twelve, and it's called Holy Violence. And he does a neat job of comparing the, those that have lost that passion to the violent. Okay? Uh, and I want to share a, a quote from him. And I want you to remember that Charles Spurgeon was not in the habit of sugarcoating things. So uh, here we go. Look at these violent men who are violently in earnest to be saved. You will observe them when they come up to the house of God. There is no yawning with them, 
no listlessness or inattention, no imaginations. If they do but sit in the place, the hour and a half, which is regularly allotted to divine worship, that they will have done enough. And I'll tell you the phrase that hit me out of that quote. There is no yawning in them. How many times in my everyday routine, in my everyday life, do I yawn at the miracles that God has placed before me? at the opportunities that he gives me. I'm always looking for these great opportunities to glorify God. And I overlook those little things that he places in front of me every single day to bring him glory. There should be no yawning in us. So I want to close with this thought. Um, We continue to do this today. We do our best to keep God at arm's length. Okay. We feel that we have to go to a place to be close to God. We feel that we have to be in certain circumstances to be close to God. But it's not true. Um, Spurgeon goes on to talk about the violent churchgoers when they go home. Mark these violent people after they have gone home. They go to their chambers and they begin to pray. Not that prayer between sleeping and waking that some of you are used to attend to. Not that drowsy supplication, which never gets beyond the ceiling of your bedroom. But they fall on their knees and with holy anxiety, they begin to cry. Lord, save or I perish. Oh, Lord, save me. That violent anxiety, that holy anxiety that pushes us into the presence of God. I guess that's the question I'm really placing before us this morning is how violently do we pursue God? How violently do we push in to his presence to seek his word and to know him? Let's pray. Um, Father God, we come before you this morning um, just in awe of everything that you do for us, um, of every moment that you pieced together in this tapestry that brought us to this moment, and in the ways that you have blessed us. We praise you for you are the one true God. Um, we we ask forgiveness for just every moment that we don't realize the miracles that you placed around us in, in the everyday things and in, in things that we don't give a second thought. And we ask that you renew within us a spirit, um, a spirit of violent anxiety to pursue you, to pursue your word, to pursue, pursue your presence and to know you. We thank you for all of these things. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's children said, amen. Um, Thank you so much for joining us today. God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good. Go in peace.